So take out your sermon notes and turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. So last Sunday, we read a story in the book of Mark chapter 7 about an impressive faith of a lady who was desperate for her daughter to be delivered from demon possession. And she came to Jesus, begging Jesus, falling down before him and asking Jesus to deliver her daughter. And Jesus did deliver her daughter. But as we looked at, he did it through a process that revealed an impressive faith that was found in this lady. And then in Mark chapter 7, we go into another story. Now, here's an interesting thing. We just discovered this lady's faith, and through a process, it was revealed. Jesus withdrew her faith. Now, here's an interesting story because it's like the story that we heard about last week. This story unfolds in a manner that draws out the heart of God towards a helpless and hopeless man. Once again, there is a process that is revealing the depths of God's heart through this miracle. So God wants us to see his heart. And so he reveals that through this story. And it is an oppressive story. As you look at the Bible, the Bible is all about the revelation of God. When you're looking at the Bible, God is revealing himself to to you over and over again through many ways. When you come to the last book, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation, it is true as specifically the Bible is revealing Jesus Christ because he is the truth, he is the life, he is the way that we come to the Father. And so when you read the Bible, we see Jesus Christ over and over that comes out uh, of who he is and what he means to us. The Bible proclaims Jesus Christ, and we need to know him. So as we look at the story, the story that we're about to read is only found in the book of Mark. It's not found in the other uh, three uh, gospels, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John. We only find this in the book of Mark. And so if Mark wasn't written, we would not have known about this story. It's an interesting story. So let's start in verse 31 and read to verse 37, the end of the chapter. Mark 7, 31, and again, departing from the region of Tyre, Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment, impediment. Is it impediment, Cindy? Impediment. I knew I was going to get that word. And of all the words in this verse is to get that one wrong. I have an impediment. An impediment. You pray for me. <laughs> oh, I lost my place here. All right. Impediment in his speech. Bobby, you never do that, do you? Not once. <laughs> so he had trouble speaking. You ever have trouble speaking? Don't let it bother you. I don't. <laughs> That's obvious. <laughs> And they begged him 
to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephathepha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, and the impediment, impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. And he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Interesting miracle here before us. Now let's go back and go to verse 31 and look at some things here. Verse 31. So again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Now remember, Jesus has left the Sea of Galilee, you know, walking on the water, feeding 5,000, and doing all these miracles around the Sea of Galilee. And he goes up to Tyre to Sidon. It's about, uh, Sidon's about 50 miles from the Sea of Galilee. So he purposely, you know, the interesting thing, this is also a Gentile area. And this is where this lady was. We heard about the story last week in Tyra. The cities were Gentiles, and they weren't favorable. They didn't care for the Jews. There was some animosity. But even Jesus went up there, and he was there. And then he comes, and he travels around the Sea of Galilee. He doesn't go to a straight path, but he goes around the, uh, the Sea of Galilee over to the right, and then down to Decapolis, which is down below the Sea of Galilee, and off to the right. And he comes to this region. We're not sure exactly what the region is. The specific, uh, this Decapolis means 10 cities. That's actually, uh, Decapolis means 10. And so there was 10 cities in this region. It was called this region. It also happened to be in Mark chapter 5. You remember about later uh, in a previously in the book of Mark is that when Jesus come to across the sea, he met a man possessed of the devil that was in the tombs and he was uh, cutting himself and they were afraid of him. And Jesus comes to him, cast the demons out. They go into a herd of swine and, uh, and the man is in his right mind. He comes to Jesus and then Jesus tells him uh, because he wanted to go with Jesus and Jesus tells him, no, you go back. And, he, and the Bible says in Mark chapter 5, it tells us that he goes to proclaim Jesus in Decapolis. So he goes to these 10 cities. And many believe that there was many churches started because of the testimony of this man in that region. And so he goes and spreads the good news, what Jesus has done for him. So, so this is the area, the location. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Uh, let's go to verse 32. And then they brought to him one who was deaf and had the problem of speaking. And they begged him to put his hands on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ear, and he spat and touched his, touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven and sighed. And he said, the, the Greek word, and he, and he said, be opened. And so, so this is this man who comes. Now, nowhere else in the Bible, so this is a unique story. Nowhere else in the Bible does Jesus heal this way. Have you noticed how when you're reading the Bible of Jesus throughout his ministry that Jesus used many different ways of healing? Sometimes he healed with a word. Sometimes he healed without a word. He healed in response to one's faith. He healed in response to the faith of another. He healed for those who asked, and he healed those who approached, who he approached. Jesus did all that. 
And I think there are three reasons that I think that are, are the reason why Jesus used those multiple ways of healing others. First of all, Jesus didn't want to be tied down to any one method to show that, uh, that his power was not dependent on methods, but on the sovereignty of the power of God. I think this is important because we as humans, when we look at something, if we, have, if we say we have an object that, that Jesus, you know, whether it's a handkerchief or, or a pillow or, or, or something, we make that an idol out of that object instead of, of elevating the person, Jesus Christ. I would imagine that if Jesus was always healing, let's say with his shoes or something, we, we would be shoe people. I mean, we would just elevate that one method more than the other method. And Jesus wanted to make sure that it was, the, the, to be real, that it was the sovereign power of God that was doing the healing. It was the person. Was it the method? Sometimes we can get wrapped up in methods. I know I am. I study church growth. I study uh, uh, how to grow uh, people and disciples. And, and sometimes we can get so focused on methods and, and, and make the person, Jesus Christ, his sovereignty, who he is and what he is, um, a little uh, devalued other than who Jesus is. Jesus wasn't tied down to any method. Why did Jesus heal this way? I think another reason is just because of the nature of the man's handicap. We have to understand that they didn't have probably sign language. They didn't have special classes that taught this, young, this man as a young man to how to sign language and how to learn these alphabets, the numbers. And, you know, they were pretty much left to themselves. They didn't have the, the things that we have today in our culture they, they were considered just like a, on the fringe of humanity. And Jesus kind of belonged to him, and he wanted to communicate clearly, clearly that it was Jesus, it was God that was working. So can you see what happens here? He takes the man, he sets him in front of him. The man and him lock in gaze on, in each other's eyes, and he takes his finger and he puts it in his ears to, to, to clearly illustrate that the, the ears are plugged up. You can't hear. And then he pulls them out. Then he spits on the ground. And he takes that and touches his tongue because he couldn't speak well. Very clear. That, and then here's what he does. He, he then looks at the man and who is hopeless and helpless before him. And, and, and he looks up. At God the Father, and he sighs. And no doubt the man was watching Jesus, and he probably too looked up as well. And then Jesus spoke those words, be opened. And he was open as he was looking at Jesus. And perhaps the man was looking up as well. And at that moment, he was healed. It was very clear to, to this individual that it wasn't his fingers in his ears that was doing. It wasn't that, that it was some, some uh, magical words that he didn't hear. He knew clearly that this was something more than life, bigger than life that was doing the job here, that was uh, the power. And so Jesus made it very clear to this individual who was doing the healing. He healed this man because of his handicap in this manner. Well, here's another reason. 
And I want to go into this reason why Jesus healed this way. Listen, Jesus did this to reveal the heart of God to this man. He was communicating to this man his heart and what God wants to do for him. That could have been easily. Jesus could have easily, the man could have been sitting over there and he could have easily spoken the word and said, you know, you can hear, you can speak. He could have easily had done anything like that. But he chose to do this specific way because he was revealing something to this man that this man needed to know, the heart of God. And not just to this individual, but, but Jesus here is revealing the heart of God to his disciples. Jesus is revealing his heart to this man's friends who brought him. Jesus is revealing to, to not only to the heart, but to that city where they are, where that, that crowd that was gathered around, he was revealing the heart of God to those 10 cities of Decapolis, to all the Jews and Gentiles, and to you and I, God is revealing his heart to the whole world through this story. He is revealing who he is. It's an impressive heart. God reveals his heart to this, to this man, and we get to look on and see the heart of God through this. The deaf man was probably a Gentile. And that doesn't really compute to us, but to an Orthodox Jew who believed the Gentile was tainted and clean, uh, this was, this was uh, going beyond borders, going out of comfort zone going beyond walls that normally traditionally were set up. And Jesus was going through it. The very fact that he was in the Gentiles cities and doing good work and God's work was something that was beyond. Uh, even the disciples had a hard time dealing with this. But this didn't stop Jesus because we are seeing the heart of God through this. This man was on, uh, the deaf man was on the fringe of humanity. He couldn't talk properly. This man could even tell Jesus. He couldn't tell Jesus. He couldn't ask Jesus to heal him. He couldn't verbally tell Jesus, I am deaf. Can you heal me? He was hopeless. He was helpless. We see the heart of God reaching out to this man. You remember, remember as we talked about how that Tyra and Sidon was there and and Sidon was 50 miles from the Sea of Galilee, and he traveled all the way down uh, at least 50, maybe 80 miles all the way to Decapolis, all through this. And this in itself gives us the heart of God. Recently, my, my parents were with me again, and I'll tell you another parent story, child story. So my parents uh, have been traveling across uh, the Asia. I was sharing this earlier. And uh, I'm getting them... Um, schooled on how to use the phone and the map. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and, and you put one destiny to another. And, and so it's been interesting. We've had a learning curve and, and a trusting that this phone's going to take you from this point to A to point B. And, and so th th it's okay. I would imagine if you were in Sidon and you would say, okay, let's put in, okay, we want to go to Decapolis. Okay, we put this in and, and here's the route that's going to take us. It's going to take us right over here to, through Sea of Galilee. We're going to take a boat, go right over there. This is the most direct route. You get there in so many days and, it, and here, here you go. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. 
He goes way out of his way. I don't know why he did this, but he went out of this way, and perhaps it's because of the crowds, because he wanted to be alone, and there needs to be a time of, of rest, some restoration for him and the disciples. But he goes all that way, out of that way, and he comes down to Decapolis. The travel route of Jesus reveals the heart of God. God is willing to go to people far away if it needs to be, whatever it takes. He is willing to go the distance to help someone. I can't think of any greater distance when Jesus came from heaven to earth. So the, the heart of God is revealed here. Uh, through the where he, who he went to and where he went. So I'm going to give you four things about revealing the heart of God and what it shows about God. First of all, number one is that God loves everyone. God loves, there's no prejudice with God. There, there's, there isn't any prejudice here. There isn't any that he favors one gender upon another. There is, God loves everyone. He loves everyone, and God is willing to go at any length to show his love and give deliverance. He came from the third heaven, the highest of heavens, to come to the cross and to the grave, which the grave would be the lowest point that he went to help us. And so we see that God loves everyone. He shows that he loves everyone and right where they are. The deaf man didn't have anything to do with his healing. He didn't learn anything. He didn't change anything. He didn't have to, uh, you know, uh, go to any classes, any to, to know Jesus. He was just there, and Jesus reached out to, to him and delivered him from his deaf and being mute. The point is that God loves everyone. He loves you, and he loves me. He loves everyone. He loves, he loves us when, when our world is shaken and feel like it's the, the earth is coming out from under us. He loves us in the crises. He loves us even when we, we don't hear him talking to us. He loves us. As a child of God, he loves us. And he tells us in, 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 the, in Romans that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing will ever separate us from that. We have accepted Jesus Christ and his love and forgiveness. Nothing can separate you from his love. So God loves everyone. The heart of God is revealed there to this Gentile, to this deaf, to this person who's on the fringe of human, human, humanity. He loved him. And then we go to verse 33. And he took him aside from the multitude. Why Jesus do that? Why did you imagine there's a group here? What if, what if we just took one individual, we just took Michael, and we took him over here to the side? And I said, Michael, I'll speak to you, and so I just bring you over here. It was a, this, this reveals that God is a very personal God. You got to get this. He treats us. You got to believe this. This will help you in your walk with Jesus. He treats you as if you were an only child. He is a one-on-one -on -one God. He is very personal. He comes to us. 
he invited that man. He took him aside. And perhaps it was because of, of uh, he didn't want him to embarrass the individual. I don't know. Maybe there were, there were some things that he wanted to just, but he brought him to the side there. In a private manner, he healed this individual. Jesus comes to us, invite us in a personal relationship. His purpose for us is to grow in that relationship with his very personal. God is very personal. It's not religion. It's not formal God. It's a personal God. It's a relationship that, that, that begins and grows deeper and deeper. And God pulls us into himself. He draws us closer to himself. He wants that in our life. That is his desire that you be close to him and he will be close to you. He's very personal. This reveals the heart of God. Number three, God cares deeply about our needs. He looks up to heaven and he sighs. Again, can you get the picture? He's looking at this man, pulled his fingers out, spit on the ground, touched his tongue, and then he looks up to heaven and he sighs. I think there's, some, there's a volume of words that can be said about that sigh. If this word sigh is used other times, it was used at the same word, same Greek word in Acts chapter 7, verse 34. When, when he's talking about, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groanings. This is when they were in captivity in the Old Testament before Moses' deliverance. They were under the oppression and they were sighing and crying out, oh God, deliver us, help us, God. This is the intense of this word sigh, that Jesus is sighing as he looks up to heaven about to heal this individual. The same word is found in Romans 8, 23. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what should pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings, this sighing which cannot be uttered. Have you ever been to a place, a dark place in your life, when you just didn't even know how to express the depth of hurt and brokenness that is in your heart, and you're just sighing, your words can't describe it, and you sigh before God. This is what Jesus is doing. He is sighing. I think that uh, Jesus was certainly sad for this individual. So he knew everything about this individual. He knew the times that uh, he was disappointed. He knew the frustration that he had gone through. He knew the ridicule, maybe even abuse that he suffered because of his condition. He knew everything about this individual. And perhaps that was the sigh that was there for this individual. But I think also that we can also say that he saw the bigger picture of sin and the brokenness of mankind in the world. This man, this man was a representative of every sinner such as you and I. Every person in the world was broken and needed a deliverer, needed someone to reach out to help. And because... We of ourselves and by ourselves cannot deliver ourselves. It takes the power of God. 
And perhaps it is also because of the sighing, maybe because this was getting at the end of, of his ministry and, and he was thinking as he was going to the cross, maybe it was sighing because he knew what it was going to take to, to, to heal this man of his soul, of that hole that is in his soul, of forgiveness of sin, of going to the cross, suffering to the cross, and dying on the cross. Perhaps it was because of that that he was sighing with all that mixed in as he looked to heaven. We're not sure, but definitely we could say that God cares deeply about this man's needs and he cares about our needs as well because he's a very personal God and he loves every one of us. Notice, as it says in verse 35, immediately his ears were open, his tongue was loose and he spoke plainly, and he commanded that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded, the more widely they proclaimed it. Now, this is an oxymoron for me. Can you imagine that you haven't spoken? Let's say this man's, let's say, 35 years old. He has not spoken clearly in his life. He has never heard anything. He hasn't heard the voice of Jesus. He hasn't heard the birds singing. He has, hasn't heard his mother's voice. He's not heard any. And, and so Jesus heals him. And then he says, now, don't go tell anybody. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been to follow God's command, Jesus' command? Over and over again throughout the scripture, when Jesus would heal somebody, he would say this often. He would say, now, now don't tell anybody. I'm going to heal you, and, and, but, but don't go tell anybody. And then what do you do? Just like all of us, you know, when, when Jesus or God tells us something, we just go and we do our own thing. Here's what happened. Of course, he goes and tells everybody. And, and, and they respond and, and say, why is that? Well, certainly a crowd would be formed People would come, and then he would be just bombarded with this crowd and wouldn't be able to go anywhere, and he'd lose, you know, rest and all this. And probably that is a good part of that. But here's the fourth thing that I think with this. And God tells him, don't tell him, because God wants the gospel to be front and center. The gospel meets the greatest need for every person. Have you, have you discovered this? It's not how low your bank account is your greatest need. It's not because you have a handicap is your greatest need. It's not because you're not married or because you are married. It's not because you have kids or you don't have kids. It's not because of your job that you need a new job. It's none of those. Your greatest need is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so you can receive the forgiveness you can receive his mercy and his grace that Jesus provides through his life, death, and resurrection from the grave. That is mankind's greatest need. Jesus healed this way to draw attention to God as the means for deliverance and not the miracle. He came to save people from their sins, not just to make life better. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 is the model of Jesus and his preaching. It's the theme of Mark. It's the theme of Jesus' life. It says Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It wasn't that he was there to provide miracles, which he did, but he did those things to draw attention to the gospel. 
that he could share the gospel, that he could prove that he was who he said he was, and they could trust him. Let's not forget that Jesus' primary purpose came to proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God. And this should be ours as well. Now, through our helping others and making our community a better place, these are all good things that we should do. But listen, these are only ways and means for us to share the gospel, the good news, Jesus saves. These are just a platform. And we should do these. We should not... Uh, uh, ignore the poor and the needy. We should do those. That is the gospel when we do that. When we love people right where they're at. The greatest need of every individual is that hole in their soul that they know Jesus Christ. They have this personal relationship. Okay, this is a great story, but how do I relate this to Monday morning? As you receive... As you read this story, we see that God has revealed his heart, that he loves everyone, that he's a personal God, he cares deeply about us, that he wants to know how, us how important the gospel is. Question, how do our friends who are deaf and ignorant to God, how can they know God can take care of their greatest needs? That God is to believe and to be trusted. And here's the thing. We can reveal the heart of God through our heart. This is the takeaway. This is where we take this and put it into our pockets and leave here and say, I want to have the heart of God on Monday morning. I want the heart of God to be seen through my heart. I want God's heart to lay over my heart and that his heart be elevated in me. So let's go back. We love everyone where they are, right where they are. We love everyone. There's no, no person in, that can walk through these doors or into my life, into your life. There's no one that you're going to say, I don't want to love them. I am going to love everyone like God loves. And we have that heart. And we have that heart. When we have this as, as a ministry, as a church, and so this community, and this church is known that we love everyone. I don't care who you are. We love everyone. This is the heart of God. This is God working through us. There are areas that I know that we can improve on. We can love. Look, look we can love, you know, maybe... Um, our children's ministry, our children's ministry, is, uh, uh, we're praying about it. We're burdened about how we can raise up a younger generation. We're, we're burdened to have more young families. And you can look around here and we see some gray hairs, one, one or two of them, if you have hair. And we see that and we have a burden. We want to love everyone and if there's something that we can do to change, to love those kids and to love those families, we're willing to do that, to love children, to love anyone in our community. We are personal with every person. Every person matters to us is the heart of God. We love people and we're, very, we're willing to reach out and to love people where they're at and to love them personally. We care deeply about the needs of others. We aren't passive, but we're willing to be one of the first ones that says, I'll help. I'll, I see that need. 
I'm not going to pass that need. God has revealed that need to me. So then, therefore, he wants me to be part of that need, that help, that solution. The needs are many. And so we aren't passive. We are cared deeply about the needs of people. And here's one more. We can make the gospel front and center. And we can help people, and we should help people. But we also need to remember that the greatest need that your friend has is not just because you're mowing their yard or not just because you're giving them whatever. It's because their greatest need is that they need to know Jesus like you know Jesus. That is our greatest need, their greatest need. So we make the gospel in our life, in our ministry, in our service to others, front and center. I'm gonna have the worship team come up uh, at this time, and, and I, I've asked them purposely to sing this last song. We just sang it a while ago. It's called Reckless Love. And the song reveals the heart of God. It, uh, to, it, and it's reckless love, not that God is reckless, you know, not have parameters or, you know, purpose. But to the world, God's love is foolish. And it should be said of us as well. That his love is extravagant, it's scandalous. The heart of God throws a feast for the returning son who ran away with inherits and blew it. This is the love of God. This love hands you its coat when you steal its shirt. It blesses its enemies. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. It's never calculating or strategic. It leaves the 99 other sheep. What kind of shepherd leaves the whole herd just to chase down a lost one? Some might say that's a foolish love or a reckless love. I heard I heard Joe had lent a trailer to someone that he works for, that works for Joe. And he was just supposed to use it for a short time. And if, if I got the details wrong, Joe can correct me later. But the guy brought it back all beat up. And, and the observation was that Joe was such a kind heart, a good man, that he took the trailer back as it was, and he says, oh, I'll take care of it, I'll repair it, and let the guy off. That's kind of a reckless love thing. When people do things to you or for you, and you go ahead and you just love them right where they're at. This is the heart of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just like this deaf man, ignorant to how your voice sounded. We knew nothing of your grace and mercy. We truly were, were far from you. We did not know you. We were so far that the only way we could ever know you is that you would be willing to come to us. And you certainly did. And you have, and you are. 
You came and you sent others to move us closer to you. We thank you and praise you for coming to us and healing the hole in our soul. Help us, Father, to have a heart that reveals your heart to this world that is totally deaf to you. We say this through your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.